0: this week on dig me out with your hosts jason ziak and tim mannichi
1: jay recently there was a vote did you know that unfortunately yeah i do know that Jay, I'm not talking about that vote. I'm talking about our vote at Patreon. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that vote. That vote. Jay, the much more important oh. vote. Whatever you've heard out there, this is the vote that matters. We put it up to our Patreon subscribers. We said, November, you're going to pick our review from 1996, November, going back 20 years. We gave them four albums, Jay, to pick from. And they chose presidents of the United States of America. Album two. How ironic, Jay? Oh, uh,
0: so so fun.
1: Actually, it was a tie, and I had to go to what in the um, election fan or nerd uh, community call instant runoff voting, which is where or uh, ranked voting, which is. Basically, you don't just vote for one. It's not winner take all. You allow people to rank their choices based on their preference. And that way, if their first vote gets uh, less than the majority, you then go to their second vote. And that becomes their primary pick. So, President of the United States of America was tied with Bell and Sebastian for their album, um, If You're Feeling Sinister. They both had three votes. However, in terms of ranking, what was best for the podcast, presidents got one extra number one vote and Bell was a number two vote. So presidents, in in lieu of that ranked vote, ended up becoming our choice for this week.
0: So, see, everything here is objective.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Very
0: scientific. We
1: put it out there for people... And if you want to read more about instant runoff voting, I uh, <laughs> encourage you to go to the Wikipedia. It's a very interesting way to vote. It's uh, Actually, they adopted it, I think, in the state of Maine, Jay. That's that's how they're doing it. For, um, that was part of the last election was they were voting whether or not to start that. Because it's been going on in cities, but it has never been applied to a state overall. So I think it was Maine. It was a state that starts with an M. Maine or Maryland Michigan? or Michigan or montana or one of those states moon moonork malifornia <laughs> yeah malifornia uh the other ones that did not uh get three votes nexus <laughs> were uh, tricky's pre-millennium tension which i am a fan of that record actually quite a bit and then johnny cash's <laughs> yeah okay johnny cash's uh <laughs> cash album which he did with rick uh, rubin i was pulling for that one yeah That would be an interesting one. We might get to that at some point. But uh, we're doing Presidents of the United States of America. A bit of serendipity there. Their album number two was their second full-length release, Jay. Um, Official full-length. We'll get into what I mean by that in a moment. But um, I did want to point out that uh, I need to... The tiebreaker was thanks to Keith Sawyer. And we've mentioned before that Keith over at Patreon uses interesting... Pseudonyms from week to week And during this particular week His pseudonym was Clark Qui-Gon Gillis So for those of you who are Star Wars nerds You know that Qui-Gon was a character From the prequels played by Liam Neeson Mm -hmm. Clark Gillies, I bet Keith didn't think I would know this but Clark Gillies is a hockey player uh, In the uh, 70s and 80s he spent his last Couple years with the Sabres of Buffalo which is how I know who he is. He spent the, the majority Sabres of Buffalo. the Sabers of Buffalo. Uh, he spent the majority of his career with the Islanders, uh, but he was a, uh, a forward. I it was like the mid to late '80s that he played for the Sabers, and that's when I just started going to games with my dad in the uh, at the old uh, auditorium in Buffalo used to see uh, Clark and the boys uh, come in second place to the Bruins and the Canadians every year. So. Uh, nice one Keith uh, also need to thank uh, Stephen, Kim Eric and Scott for chiming in with their votes on this episode so Jay you and I we're both familiar with uh, the Presidents of the United States of America I'm just going to refer to them as the Presidents so I don't have to say Presidents of the United States of America every time yes
0: not a again not a, a great name for Google
1: no not <laughs> a great name you oh, have there's...
0: to type all that and the word "band."
1: yeah They also go by Pusa or Pot USA. We're going to go with The Presidents. Clever. Uh, So, Jay, just give me a little bit. First album, everybody knows. It's the one that Mm -hmm. has Lump. It's the one that has Peaches. Did you own it? Did you like it? Were you a fan of those songs and the the band? Or was that something that you ignored?
0: Uh, You couldn't ignore it. Goodness, it was everywhere you went. (laughs) It felt like. There was a billion singles from that record, and then they also—I feel like they were on TV a lot for some reason. I, I don't know. They were a very odd band for the time. I remember that never n- seemed not uh, not really like anybody else, which was right. kind of cool. But, um, they were definitely had a sense of humor, which you didn't see very much. And up until that point, had a kind of a quirky sound. We'll get into on this record because it's very much still there. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely remember them standing out, being on the radio ton, having quite a bit of attention. I mean, but not not what you would expect, right? I guess and they were Seattle band, right?
1: Yeah. So let's get into a little yeah. bit of history on pre- the president's
0: history of the band
1: formed in Seattle, Washington, 1993. The group was vocalist and uh, bass artist. We'll get into why that's a bass artist. Chris Ballou, uh, drummer and vocalist Jason Finn, and um, git bassist and vocalist Andrew McKeague. They, um, and then uh, from, when was it? Uh, so, David, well, the original guitar was uh, David from 93 to 2005 and then andrew replaced him on uh, guitar in 2005 so that was that was the lineup up until this year with chris andrew and jason they br- actually broke up this year uh with um chris stating that they actually had broken up last year and just didn't tell anybody and th- the reason <laughs> why is because we're old people now it was the quote why he why they broke up makes sense yeah i guess that makes sense so formed in 93 they started out as a duo with a and the durer uh together uh they were known as the lo-fis the dynamic duo duo pure frosting and then they settled on uh presidents as the final name of the band um and then they brought in jason finn who had been the drummer in love battery which was a band that was on sub pop and a&M's uh, subsidiary Atlas. So they recorded a 10 song cassette in 1994 called Froggy oh. Style. And that was their first official release, which is why I'm talking about what was the first, and what was the second album. So they did have a, an independent release on cassette that they were, they sold at shows and that sort of thing. Uh, they ended up signing to Pop Llama Records and putting out uh, a seven inch um on cz records and so the original album which was self-titled had the singles lump and peaches came out of pop llama um got a little bit of press and ended up getting picked up by columbia records for re-release they make some videos and then release lump and peaches nationwide and the album ends up going triple platinum so the follow-up album which we're reviewing Number 2 came out in 96. Didn't sell as well. It only went gold. So this is this would would have been a qualifier for Sophomore Slump based on album sales. It went from triple platinum to gold. Yeah, uh, but it didn't make our two one of our two options for uh Sophomore Slump. Um so they toured throughout 96, 97 in support of the album. Uh in 96 they played a live concert at the Mount at Mount Rushmore on Presidents Day. Which is a pretty good uh, promotional tool. They released in nineteen ninety excuse me, in two thousand the album Freaked Out and Small. So it was originally they were they had actually broken up at this point and they were kind of doing other things. Um, they had worked with Sir Mix a lot, uh, on a in a band called Subset, but they got back together to record a single on and, and Jay, you'll appreciate this, an early internet. Record label called Music Biz or Music Blitz that was a digital music player as well as a label. <laughs> oh, jeez! And this was in 2000, so you can imagine the quality of the audio stream in 2000. So they were originally just did a single, and then the single went well. So they, the label said, "Why don't you do an album?" They did "Freaked Out and Small." They sold 25,000 copies. They didn't tour, and then the label went bankrupt, which I think about 500 internet-only labels. Uh, in around 1998 to 2004, probably all went bankrupt around that time. Right.
0: Um, yeah, and then and then uh, what? Uh, Ten years later or more, uh, Neil Young thought it would be a good idea to do the same idea It's concept again. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's a music service with a player that distributes music. Yeah. Who would want that?
1: Uh, in 2004, they released the album "Love Everybody." That was, uh, they ended up forming their own label called Pusa Inc. And um, releasing that on their own. And then that's when, um, uh, around that time, is when Andrew McKeague left and was replaced. Excuse me, Dave Derrider left and was replaced by Andrew McKeague. Uh, They recorded uh, These Are the Good Times People in 2008. And then in 2000, what was it? 12. no sorry 2013 they did a pledge music campaign for their final what would end up being their final album kudos to you which was released in february 2014 and then they also released a live album thanks for the feedback and um that's it they broke up like they said 2015 but didn't announce it until 2016 so that's the history of presidents of the united states of America, let's talk about their second album, Jay Two. Jay, tell me one thing that you liked about this record.
0: So, I mean, I, I was going to say when you asked me what I remember about the band, um, I've always been fascinated with their sound. Um, mm-hmm. So you've got the two guitar, keytar, bass guitar, whatever they call them—basically guitars modified.
1: To I can play explain bass. the exact. Set up, if you'd like to. Know. Okay, do it. Let's hear. So it. Chris Balu has a; they both play guitars, six-string guitars. However, yep. Chris Balu has removed all the strings, and he plays with.
0: They're tuned down to C, right? top Yeah, they're tuned
1: down to C sharp. Um, he plays with two strings on the D at the D and the G position. Yep. Um, and then the other guitar is actually guitar strings and they are placed in the A, D, and G positions. Um, and I, I won't get into the gauges. That's, nobody cares about yep. that. Uh, but basically, they're both playing guitars, but with the gauges of the strings are are odd for guitars. Yep.
0: And it's uh, similar to what Local uh, what H does and what uh, Borphine does. and right. It was kind of a thing in the 90s. I don't know why, but... So part of me, like, appreciates that and finds that interesting it does make for a unique sound Mm -hmm. um and then the the drum sound is weird and i can't i I didn't go back and look at any videos but i remember like for some reason it's i don't know if you played like a tiny kit or something but the drums certainly sound small like the the cymbal hits are like like there's nothing like really very bombastic about anything it's very Right. Um small sounding but still I don't know, kind of still works, I guess cuz it's warm and defined and the the songs are pretty well written from a kind of a fun pop standpoint. Um so I just I, I overall just found their whole like sound and how they put it together and the instruments they played to be um interesting. Uh, definitely stood out I and mean, I think at times it can be to good effect. So I, I enjoyed hearing that on the record. It's produced really well. I think they definitely, um, more successfully, sometimes more successful than others try to extend the sound of the band on this record beyond just, you know, straight up two minute pop songs. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, from, I think it, it starts to show some of the liabilities in, in the, in the uh, very specific sound they have, you know, mm-hmm. things they can do, pull off and things that maybe they can't pull off. Um, so, from that standpoint, I just liked, I just liked it sonically. I thought it, it's kind of a very, un- still a pretty unique sounding band, and yeah, I'm just uh, fascinated with how they put it together.
1: Yeah, I think when I went back and listened to this, I had really no expectation of it being. Anything beyond sort of like these quirky little two and a half, three minute long songs that were reminiscent of some of the stuff that I didn't really care for from the 90s, which was like They Might Be Giants and Ween and, um, you know, some bands that have like a sense yeah. of not just humor, but like like kind of a, a weirdness that I just it doesn't translate well for me. Um, but yeah. what I actually think I caught this time around was, um, yeah, there's some quirky weirdness, like, you know, um, one of the tracks, uh, which is, um, Tiki God track eight, you know, there's this whole st- There's a stuff about the Brady bunch and which one is it? Bobby finding the Tiki God or. Yeah. Yeah. And- and, While you, you know, that's true. songs like Mach 5 Volcano and Lunatic to Love they really show off like a, an understanding of like pop songwriting that like Lunatic to Love think it's going in one direction as a song and then it changes directions and they're able to do a lot in under three minutes that I don't think hmm. most even a lot of pop bands that are doing like even like I guess you'd say like pop, for rock music like power pop or or what have you like, that don't pull off really well, that, yeah, they're hindered a little bit because the instruments are more restricted, so there's not as much sonic range in them. But just in terms of song structure and dynamics and melodies, like, they hit it out of the park more often than they don't um, on those particular song. Like, uh, a good example of, like, being fun but not silly is, like, Tube Amplifier. I really like that song even though they spelled tube T-O-O-B. <laughs> mm. um, but Drum. I liked, yeah, that, that was kind of, yeah, that's kind of dumb. But <laughs> but I liked the song. I thought the song was fun. I like the fact that, you know, basically it's about how f- cool it is to get a tube amplifier. And then uh, they let the drummer <laughs> sing a verse and talk about how cool it is to get cymbals from, what was it, Sabian? Is that the? Yeah. Yeah. I I liked that. I appreciated that it was a bit goofy, but not in this, like, I guess, I feel like in some sense, like, the thing I didn't get with, like, Ween, I I never understood with that band. It seemed like a very, like, insular, like, inside joke kind of humor that I didn't get, whereas I feel like the presidents do it in a more, I guess, um, open way, where, yeah, it's goofy, and... Maybe I don't want to hear a whole album of it, but for a couple songs, I can kind of appreciate the goofiness.
0: Yeah, I can too. What's funny is that uh, my note on that album, or I'm sorry, on that song, so that's track 11 on the record. um, Mm -hmm. And my note on that that song is, it's clear they're out of ideas at this point. (laughs) So I, I think one of the things that wears thin on for me with this band is you start to understand kind of the way they write songs which is i think a big part of it is at least to fill out a record it seems to be you just look at something any object or thing and then just start thinking of metaphors for it or just writing a story around it just write a story around it so a Mm -hmm. tube amplifier a supermodel little puffy shoes a frog a tiki god you know you just kind of just riff I mean, you could just sit in your room and look at crap and say, you know, tape measure. What would I I write about a tape measure? Uh, Let's see. (laughs) Like, let your imagination run wild. So once you start to pick up on that, it it starts to get a little uh, tired after four or five songs of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So by that point in the record, I was like, okay, like, it's kind of cute. But at the same point, I'm like, yeah, they got an. They looked at their equipment and wrote about it so this is a band it's i it's got to be in short little doses for it to work i mean again i feel like well, i'm a bit of a broken record in some of the recent reviews we've done but the record starts off solid i mean i think yeah you know, tracks one through four um i mean those are all quality fun pop rock songs at times they even approach you know kind of a cheap trick maybe even like a who energy on the first song where they're you know playing with dynamics and you know building things up and you know kind of big dramatic hits and shifts and that was kind of a cool change that i didn't expect to hear from them And Lunatic to Love and Volcano are very much in their, I think, comfort zone, what you heard from the first record. Then in Mach 5 is just probably one of the better, um, you know, high-energy, just fuzzy rock songs. Um, but then after that, things start to turn left and right, you know, and they, they get into playing some jazzy stuff and loungy stuff. And um, I actually like Bath of Fire. They get a little, like, twangy um there's just something about the way that those guitar that guitar bass setup sounds when you play something like that it just it's it's um it's got that twang but it's still like meaty you know it's got a lot of mid so just it just when they try to pull down the energy i thought that was a good place for them to go as opposed to something like froggy where it's jazzy and almost like rockabilly minus the kind of bite goofy lyrics that i don't know like almost sounds like a kid's song
1: well jay i don't know if you know this but uh chris blue actually has a side project doing kids music
0: yeah well, clearly (laughs) that doesn't surprise me at
1: all no so i don't know i think um
0: this works in in short doses i actually like when they jam too um so towards the end of the record um Puffy little shoes and uh, beginning of ladies and gentlemen have extended jam parts that were actually I don't tend to like that on records, but I think for them it was if you're going to go long and indulge a little bit, you know, it's a good Mm -hmm. way for to do it because they bring in some piano and just just turn the volume up. I think that that's sort of the last critique I have on the record is there's there's a couple times where I, I took notes. It just it's like too quiet like the vocal is very present and up front yeah and i'm just wanting so bad to like i don't know hear more hear the guitars like more in your face or hear the drums be bigger or just something to really i don't know be louder and more a little bit more aggressive not a ton more but just a little bit more um I, i think some of these songs would come across with a lot uh, more convincing um, as it is. Sort of the humor with a bit of a restrained kind of small sound just doesn't quite work. I wish the humor was accompanied by a little more bombast, I guess, or or um, meaty kind of tone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, I mean, that's my sort of last last want for this record.
1: Well, you know, you brought up a little bit earlier about where this band came from and like how they just kind of came out of nowhere you know if you mm-hmm. think about 95 you know we're four years into the quote unquote the grunge sound of the 90s and you know we're already starting to see the imitators and and this the second wave of bands and I feel like th- these guys 96 is where it kind of exploded and like anything was coming out and you know everything and anything was was hitting the radio um i yeah. kind of feel like this is one of the bands that was at the and, and maybe i'm wrong maybe i have my facts wrong on this but i feel like presidents were one of the earlier bands in terms of like oh you don't have to, to have to drop d you know guitar and sing like chris cornell or or eddie vetter or scott Weiland or or lane staley like you can You can do these like weird, you know, pop songs that uh, Mm. have a bit of grit to them. Because you know, even though Lump and Peaches are sort of these little pop concoctions, um, I remember Lump being pretty like dirty guitar-wise. It's not like it's a. It's not like it's a shimmery pop song in terms of the production and what it sounds like. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of fuzz on this record, but it's just weird. It's like it's kind of just turned down a little bit. Right. Like I'm reach in and just grab a knob and crank it. But yeah, I think I, that's the timeline I have in my head too. I mean, uh, when I think of when the shift happened, I think of this band, I think of No Doubt, and I actually think of Sponge a little bit, like those three bands kind of hitting, and radio very much pivoting to this whole new you know, post-grunge era.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just feel like, you know, 95 is, like, when the the darkness and, you know, if you want to say self-seriousness of grunge starts to get bent in towards more of the light. You know, you have, like, Better Than Ezra and Jewel and Radiohead's The Bends comes out that year, and that's the, that's the year of A Boy Named Goo. So, like, there's definitely, like, pop rock is sort of making a comeback or, mm-hmm. or making its presence felt. You get Matthew Sweet's 100% fun, which obviously is ironic. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? Uh there's mm-hmm. it's just like there are these albums that are breaking through. They're they're still guitar-based. They're still, you know, writing rock songs essentially, but they're just not as dark and they're not as foreboding as some of the stuff that would uh, come out before that, you know, you know, Down on the Upside comes out in '96. Even by, I think that by that point, Soundgarden had like lightened up a little bit and were writing less dark songs. And
0: yeah, I mean, I think they're it was still very much alternative. I think this band is a pretty classic alternative pop sound, mm-hmm. um, right? So, and I think a lot of the bands you mentioned. Very much represent that type of sound, so it went away from more of a, I guess, a metal punk, uh, garagey kind of thing to to alternative pop, and then metal kind of reemerged again as something, obviously, much different. So yeah, I, I very much think
1: of this band as being
0: represent representational at that time.
1: So we mentioned that, you know, the the first album came out in ninety five. This one came out pretty quickly, you know, one year later in 96. Uh, it did not do as well. It sold roughly not even one-sixth, I guess. It sold about 500,000. The other one sold 3 million. I don't recall any major singles off of this record. Do you Do you remember I, hearing? I,
0: well, yeah, I do recognize. I recognized a Volcano, I think. Volcano and Lunatic the Love both sounded familiar to me. Um,
1: Well, Mach 5 was the lead single.
0: Okay. I mean, that one sounded familiar, but I just thought it might be because it was just such a well-written, hooky song.
1: What's interesting is that the second single was a song called Supersonics, (laughs) which was a rewritten version of Supermodel uh, written about the Seattle Supersonics. Because they were in the 96 NBA Finals.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And then the Volcano was the third single, and Tiki God was the fourth single. Mach 5 was the only one that charted and made it to number 11 on their Modern Rock Billboard. And uh, the album overall made it to number 31 on the Billboard 200. Do you think that maybe... I'm, I'm trying to think of like why exactly this album wouldn't do as well. Obviously, nine, you know 95 to 96... It's not a huge shift musically, but is, it, is there yeah. lacking the singles that the first album has?
0: Well, I think this is where the, the real sophomore slumps start, right? I mean, Because I, I think you can make the argument that Nirvana's second album, obviously, like all the big bands didn't have sophomore slumps, but there was the second half of the decade where it seemed like everybody did, with a couple of ex- exceptions. So... I don't know. I think this was also the peak of uh, signings, right? I mean this is when mm-hmm. everybody was getting a deal and it was there was no seemed to be no commitment to anything. It was just throw as much as you could at the radio. Mm-hmm. If it stuck, it's you pushed it and if it didn't, you moved on and while I I haven't I haven't heard the first record. You know, it's possible that just the first one was stronger from so any standpoint, they kind of captured their best material with that one. And then this was, um, you know, just didn't have the, the big hit or the consistency. Um, or it could have just been a matter of the first one just got pushed a lot harder and he caught on quicker and just rode a wave. And that's, that didn't happen with this one. And basically that's the story of the 1995 to early till now. <laughs> like... Throw it at the wall, it doesn't stick, move on.
1: A couple of the songs, I think uh, three of the songs um, were actually from their original cassette that they released back uh, before the debut album. So I'm wondering if maybe they were a little short on material going into the studio to follow up Yeah, uh, the big hit album and they had to go dip back and you know, re-record some older songs. Because Lunatic to Love lip which is abbreviation for little indian princess and puffy little shoes were all um, re-records twig was a re-record it's actually four songs that was a b-side to lump so the
0: other thing to think about with this band too is that i mean what is a presidency of the united states of america fan look like you know i mean how passionate could you possibly get about this band in terms of, you know, supporting record after record after record. Well,
1: you know, every every band that has some sort of success has some sort of dedicated hardcore fan base.
0: Yeah, but I think a lot of the sophomore sl- or the bands that don't really ever get past that first record, they don't. Like they don't get that whatever that deeper connection where they've always got Like, I mean, okay, look at like a band like um those some of the ones you brought up, like Ween. You know what Uh I mean? Like there's a super dedicated I mean, people that love that band love that band. Yep. Like they are the band. Um Primus is like that too, right? right? Similar kind of weird, quirky songwriting style, unique sound. You know, so it's almost like they're a more accessible, pop oriented version of those kinds of bands, but almost because of that accessibility. Maybe the complete theory of pulling on my ass, but maybe that's another reason why you don't get that like hardcore, passionate reaction. Because it is a little bit more friendly and less mm-hmm. difficult than some of those bands I just t- mentioned.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think you but- had it. A- you said it best when earlier, like this is a perfect example of a sophomore slump. Yeah. You know. They they didn't have a a ton of time to record it. They had to go back and re record a bunch of older songs to to make instead of making it a nine or ten song album in order to extend it out to fourteen songs. You know, maybe this would work better if it was a ten song album or a nine song album. Maybe that's the problem is that it, it just wears out its welcome by the end. And if it was just like nine killer tracks, That would that maybe would have helped save it a little bit because it's definitely just not up to par in terms of you know I I would say that other than like maybe two or three songs there's nothing on par with the first album in terms of you know not only was there Lump and Peaches but Kitty was a single and I think Dune Buggy was another single so I mean they had a number of singles off that first record and I looked at it Lump actually went to number one. I mean, that was a, yeah. like, a huge song.
0: It, it was like, uh, uh, I remember when that was big, you're like, okay, you're never, we're never going to hear from this band again. Right. And then the next single came out, and it was basically the same kind of song with just, you know, it was obviously them. You're like, wow, yeah. okay, they did it again. And then the third one came out, and you're like, holy shit, they did it again.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> like,
0: you know, same thing again.
1: So they seemed yeah. like the band that should have been a one hit wonder. And we've talked about bands, you know, well, it's, you know, their follow up didn't do as well as their first record because the first record had charting singles. Most of those bands did not have number one singles. They had top 10, top 20 singles, but a lot of those bands never made it to number one, which is, you know, a pretty big deal. Not many bands do. Jay, let's talk about our overall ratings for this record. Were the album better EP or a decent single? Where do you land?
0: Uh, You know where I'm at. I'm in an EP. EP, baby.
1: About how many songs Uh, on your EP? Six.
0: I got Ladies and Gentlemen, Part 1 and 2, Lunatic Dola, Volcano, Mach 5, Bath of Fire.
1: Okay. I would add Tube Amplifier. I do like that song. and I think in the context of an EP, I think it would sound fine in the context yeah. of this album where you're saying like oh it sounds like they just ran out of ideas yeah because you're a track what 11 oh so, uh, yeah yeah. No, yeah but if you put it on I like agree. a six song ep no it just becomes another quirky song i kind of wish they had sung about every aspect of their of their instruments like i got this boss distortion pedal <laughs> <laughs> i yeah, got this monster cable uh, that would have been fun or go around the recording hey, studio i got Isn't this that eve how, uh... console
0: see uh sia or whatever her name is and that how she writes songs
1: is that how she does it
0: she she was on howard's turn talking about it and it sort of hit me when she was talking about her songwriting. it was very much like that like pick a thing and then make a like a metaphor for it and then just continue to create metaphors around it and you've got a song so like wrecking ball like what does a wrecking ball do it swings back and forth it destroys things and like, you should start riffing on that. The next thing you know, it's like, hey, there's a song. And the more metaphors you can make to, like, relationships, the better off you are.
1: Mm-hmm. Everything is. If you can it, make it a metaphor for a relationship.
0: Yeah. Pick another object. A, a light bulb. A light switch.
1: Okay. Right. A, light, right, a, a, a live song uh, metaphor with a light switch. There you go. Jay, we're going to start a songwriting duo team uh, for, you know, the ghost write. Hot, uh, pop hits for uh, artists. <laughs> we're just gonna... When I heard her explain it, I was
0: like, oh my god, that's both brilliant and depressing.
1: Yeah. I got this uh, Western Digital uh, external hard drive, Jay. So let's write a song about that. <laughs> hard drive? <laughs> yeah, hard drive. Oh, there man. That's so easy. Let's <laughs> see. Okay. So... We'll salt to kiss. Yeah, we'll to kiss be a Gene Simmons song oh I, I I can hear it I could totally write in Gene Simmons voice
0: <laughs> see
1: throw in you know throw in some uh, crude innuendo and there you go perfect
0: couple couple yes yeah, yeah
1: exactly we need to thank our Patreon patrons who have been with us you know this year and have helped us pick albums we really appreciate uh i'm doing so and you can join us over at patreon that's patreon.com patreon.com forward slash dig me out buck a month 250 those are your options uh we've uh got more more in store not just for this year but for next year lots of cool things in the works which you'll find out at patreon And of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. Jay, our first review of, or our first episode of December 2016 is here. The year is almost over, which means in just a few episodes, it will be our year-end roundup for 2016. Our sixth annual year-end roundup. Crazy. Nice.
0: What do I got to do?
1: Um, I'll send you, I'll send you your, your book report that you have to complete. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to need, I'm going to need 3000 words on, uh, Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) All right. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.
0: Thanks for listening. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com/digmeout or requesting a review for the 2016 season at our Request a Review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. I got
1: myself a brand new Big Bird the Driver. Gonna take it to the range. Take it to the range. I got myself a new Big Bird the Driver.
0: It's Trump. It's Trump. It's Trump. (laughs) What? He's in my head. Um...